Good morning, everyone. Such a privilege to be here with you this morning to worship our great and holy, but yet so loving and merciful God. And this morning, I'd like to start by opening to our scripture reading, which is from Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's turn together to our text for this morning, which is James 3, verses 1 to 12. James 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, 
Can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thus far, our reading of Scripture. I just noticed as I was reading that in the NIV, I actually used, I think, exclusively the ESV in my sermon. So the wording might be a little bit different, but fundamentally it will be the same. You're smart people. You'll be able to handle it. I'm sure of it. Brothers and sisters, have you ever heard the, the expression that the eyes are the windows of the soul? It's a pretty common expression. And the idea behind it is that people can say a lot of things, and they can, they can try and make you think a lot of things. But if you look into their eyes, sometimes you can get a better perspective. You can actually see the truth. So, so for example, if you ask somebody if they're doing fine, they might tell you that they're fine. But if you look them in the eyes, sometimes you can see the truth. You can see that, that maybe they're not fine. Likewise, if someone's looking like or trying to look like they're paying attention, if you look them in the eyes, often you can tell if they're actually paying attention, if they're actually hearing what you're saying. And so in this way, the eyes are, are kind of a window into the soul. They, they give you a, a perspective of what a person's really thinking or feeling. And that's a helpful picture because that's kind of what James is doing in this passage today. But instead of telling us how we can look into other people's souls, instead he gives us a picture of how we can look into our own souls. We can see what's really inside of our own hearts. And he tells us that, that the tongue, looking at our tongues, our, our words, that's how we can get a picture of what's really living in our hearts. And this fits so well. I don't know how well you know the book of James, but this fits really well with James' theme throughout the book. Throughout the book, James is writing to people who are professing believers. They've been believers for a long time. And James is saying to them, you say that you believe in God good. That is wonderful. But if really, if you love Jesus, and if your desire is to love God and love your neighbor, then you should be able to see that in every aspect of your lives. And, and James outlines that throughout the book. And in, in this passage, he, he shows how the gospel and believing the gospel should transform the way that we use our tongue. And so that's what we'll see in this passage today. We'll see specifically James's main message, which is that we need God to tame our tongues. And we'll see that in three parts, the three parts that James uses in his passage. First of all, we'll see that we need God to tame our tongues because our tongues are powerful. Secondly, because our tongues are destructive and untamable. And then thirdly, because our tongues speak from our hearts. So first of all, let's consider the fact that our tongues are powerful. This is the first thing that James says in this passage, and it's, it's really interesting how he does it. Because I don't know if you noticed, but he starts off this passage with a warning, doesn't he? He starts off by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, so why would he begin like that? It's because of the tongue. That's what James is getting at here already. Teachers are put on a literal platform. <laughs> They're, they're, they're asked to speak 
extra words. They're, they're asked to speak God's words to people. The tongue is so powerful. And so those who want to rush to become teachers, who apparently some of James's audience did, they're not thinking about how powerful the tongue is and how damaging this is and, and how seriously God takes how we use our tongue. And so James, he, he moves on and he says, that, that not many people should hurry to become teachers because we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So what James is saying here is that, that we all sin with our tongue. You have to realize, he, he says we. He's speaking in the first person plural. And, and now I believe, and, and many scholars, they believe that this is James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He, he was a great church leader. He was a pillar of the church. And he says, we all sin with our tongues. And, and he says, we all stumble in many ways. And, and he says that if someone doesn't sin with their tongue, then he's perfect. So what he's saying there is the tongue is the most difficult part of the body to control, in a sense. If you got control of that, then you can do everything else. That's easy. And so James says that those who wish to be teachers must be careful because our tongues are so powerful, even, even if we don't think about how powerful our words actually are. And so in order to illustrate how powerful our tongues are, James gives us, first of all, two illustrations that are, are kind of doing the same thing. So first of all, he, he compares in our passage our tongues to the bit in a mouth of a horse. And so I imagine that most of you are from Hamilton like I am. Maybe you've gone uh, downtown sometime and you've seen the police horses down there. That, that's basically my only experience with horses. I don't see a lot of horses in downtown Hamilton. Um, but, but if you stand by these police horses, maybe you would think the same thing I did the first time I saw it. It's that these horses are massive. Uh, I'm not that tall, so, so my head didn't even get to the top of the back of the horse when I saw it. These horses are huge. I looked up the weight. Um, th these horses can weigh up to 2,500 pounds. They can weigh as much as a car. Small car, but still a car. And what James wants us to think of is think of one of these huge horses. It's controlled by just a small piece of metal, a tiny bit. And so likewise, James says, don't underestimate the tongue just because it's small. But it's far more powerful than its size might lead us to believe, just like a bit in the mouth of a horse. And so likewise, James goes on to a second illustration. He, he compares the tongue quickly to a ship's rudder. So again, you can think of the, the big, the huge ships on Hamilton Harbor even bigger ones in the sea. That these huge ships are steered by just relatively, a relatively tiny piece of metal uh, against fierce waves and fierce winds, as, as James points out. And, and so what James is saying here is, and he explicitly says it in verse 5, he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Do not underestimate your tongue just because it's small. And when we think of the word boast, which is what James just used here, I think often we, we think of something negative right away. And that's fair. Usually boasting is something negative. But I, I don't think that's what James is getting at here. 
Instead, James is just saying that the tongue can rightly boast to have a lot of power in spite of its tiny size. Because when you think about it, the the tongue is actually incredibly powerful, but not not in a bad way. Think about your, your tongue. It's a wonderful gift from God, isn't it? There, I listed some of the, the uses the, the, that this wonderful God-given gift has in our day-to-day lives, how, how we can use our mouth, how we can use our words. So first of all, with your mouth, you get to know people. You, you get to meet them. You form lifelong friendships using your words. You can fall in love with someone by talking to them and, and decide you want to spend the rest of your life with them. With our mouths, we exchange information constantly. We use it to teach. We use it to ask questions and to learn. We use our, our tongues, our words, to make plans. This can be any kind of plans. Plans to meet up with your family after church, and maybe if it's not during COVID. Um, plans for work. Plans to build cities, or like Pastor Ian mentioned, I think just last week, um, at one point in human history, they used... The, the tongue to make plans to, use a great, to build a great tower. You can use your tongues in so many ways, but, but most of all, the, the greatest way that we can use our tongues and, and what it was given to us by God for is that we can use our tongues to sing praises to God. We can use it to cry out to God for help in our times of trouble. There are so many wonderful ways that we can use this God-given gift, and it's so powerful. And these, these tongues, they're a wonderful gift from God, and often we just take them for granted. And so if, if we want an example of how the tongues can be used so effectively, even in this fallen world, that, then of course there's only one place to turn to. It's to Jesus Christ. And if you read through the Gospels, if you look the story, at the stories in the New Testament, you will see how powerfully Jesus used his tongue for good. He uses his tongue to comfort the afflicted. He uses his tongue to preach good news to the poor. He uses his tongue also to, to rebuke people, to tell people to repent and to believe in him. And, and often when we're thinking of the ways that we can use our tongues, we think of the active ways that we use it. But, but one of the most remarkable things about Jesus is that unlike us, he knew when to hold his tongue, didn't he? And you can see that I was here a number of weeks ago and, and I talked about Matthew 16 and there we saw that Jesus knew when to stop arguing with the scribes and Pharisees because it was useless. And he knew when to continue on. But, but the, the most remarkable instance that we can think of is when Jesus held his tongue during the worst injustice in human history, when he was falsely accused, when he was put on a mock trial, when he was beaten, when he was taken to the cross, he held his tongue. And he did it for you and for me. And that's wonderful. And that's what we want to be like. We, we want to be like Jesus in our use of the tongue. We want it to use it to, to build up, to, to point people to God. But like with any, like with any 
powerful gift from God. Sinful people like us, we find so many ways to abuse this good gift. We already mentioned the example of the Tower of Babel. Uh, we can think of other biblical stories, for example. Like I, Again, another sermon from Pastor Ian just recently on uh, the fall into sin. What did the devil use to lead Adam and Eve into sin? He, he just used his tongue. And as soon as Adam and Eve fell into sin, what did they do? They started using their tongues to blame one another. And so the tongue is very powerful. And you can see that in the Bible, and you can also see it in the world around us today, or in history textbooks. You can see the, the damage that dictators can do just with their, their words. Or you can see other great leaders, how they can rise up people so powerfully for good, again, just using their words. But we don't just need to use biblical examples like Adam and Eve in the Tower of Babel, and we don't just need to focus on abstract ideas of tongues being powerful with um, dictators and things like that. I, I think all we need to do, each and every one of us, is look into our own lives and we can see examples that the tongue is powerful, more powerful than we give it credit for. I want to look for a second at Proverbs 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There we, word, we read that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Can you think into your own life for a minute? Can you think of any examples of when someone's reckless words pierced like a sword? It could have been someone close to you, someone you love, a, a friend, a family member, a, a teacher, someone you respect, and their reckless words, maybe they didn't even think about it, but they pierced like a sword. I'm sure there are people here today who, who can still feel that wound, maybe decades later. And likewise, I hope and I pray that you can think of examples of the other side in your life as well. When, when the tongue of the wise has brought healing to you, when someone, when someone has just answered you in your weakness and in your suffering with such wise, biblical, Christ-like words, that instantly they, they brought healing, they lifted your spirit, and so they gave you hope. So often this comes from the gospel message that we were granted, that, that we get to share with one another with our tongue. And so what we've seen so far, far is that the tongue is very powerful. That's what James has highlighted so far. And so then the natural question is, how do we use our tongues? Do we use them for good? Or do we use them for evil? Do, do we bring uh, healing? Or do we bring harm? And James wants us to ask ourselves these questions, but he doesn't leave us to answer this question for ourselves, does he? Instead, he tells us. James's answer to this question is that for each and every one of us, all sinful people, that our tongues are destructive and untamable. And James makes this point by using yet another illustration. He, he compares our tongues to a small spark which can start an enormous destructive fire. And here in this part of Ontario, we're not very familiar with forest fires or wildfires and, and what damage they can do, but it's important to try and wrap our minds around this because James's original audience would have been very familiar. 
Where James was writing in Israel, they have long dry seasons. And they knew that a small, uncontained fire could damage, it could destroy their livelihood. It could ruin their crops. It could destroy a town. It could destroy everything. So likewise for us, it's helpful for us to look at pictures like one I believe, that one like that. And to think back maybe on the news of the stories of wildfires that were just occurring earlier this year in Australia, or the, the fires recently in the Amazon. And you can look up plenty of pictures like this, beautiful, lush, green, majestic forests, just destroyed by a fire that can start from such a small spark. And likewise, you can look up pictures not just of forests, but of fields and of towns that are destroyed by fire, and they can start with just a small spark. And that's what James wants us to think of, that our tongues are like a small spark that we don't even think about it, but it can do an incredible amount of damage. And so it's important to turn back to our text and we'll look at how strong James's words are in this passage. Here, look back at our passage and you'll see that James says that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, that it stains the whole body, that it sets the entire course of one's life on fire, and that it itself is set on fire by hell. These are such strong words, and it's worthwhile to, to stop for a minute and just go through them one by one. So first of all, James says that your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. And that what that means is that your tongue can be used to commit any sin imaginable. One, one scholar puts it this way. He says, every sort of evil in the world finds an ally in an uncontrolled tongue. Your tongue can start or it can show from within you all sorts of sin. It can show forth idolatry, adultery, lust, murder, coveting, pride, slander. All these things can be shown through the tongue. It's a world of unrighteousness. Next, James says that, that the tongue stains the whole body. And that refers to the fact that our tongues can completely control how someone sees us. Again, a theologian gave a very helpful picture. He said, imagine for a second that, that you walk into an elevator and then someone follows you in. And the first thing that you notice about them is that they smell like smoke or they smell like alcohol. You smell that before you even see them. And when you look at them, that, that, that changes how you look at them. Likewise, the, the tongue stains the entire body. The words that we say, maybe you've noticed it in other people, but it's true of us too, that the words that we say can completely change how people see us. Next, James says that, that the tongue sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And there are two senses, there are two ways in which we can take this. So basically, James is talking about the life cycle here. So, so first, you can think of the big picture of the life cycle. And you can think about how, how the tongue sets the whole course of your life on fire. From when you're a baby, when you're first learning how to use your words, you can start to, to set fires with your tongue. You can use it to, to start lying, to start deceiving, to start getting in trouble, to start hurting people. And what James is saying here is that never goes away. Throughout every stage of your life, 
Uh, children, I already mentioned, teenagers, they can use their tongue to hurt people. Uh, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, until, until you're very old. Even elderly people, they don't get a handle on this. They can still do so much damage with their tongue. They can still sin so much and harm people so much with their tongue. So that's the first way you can look at it as the whole life cycle. But I think it might be even more helpful for us to look at it in the day-to-day life cycle. Your day-to-day life. I don't know about you, but I see very clearly patterns in my life of times when I'm more likely to sin with my tongue. For me, it might be before I have my coffee in the morning. We laugh, but it's not really funny. It might be when you're in a hurry on your way out to work, when you're in a hurry on the road on the way to work. It might be at work, maybe at home and at church you use the tongue one way, but at work with your coworkers or at school, you use your tongue in a different way. Likewise, it could be when you get home and you're, you're tired and you're frustrated after the day, or it could be right before you go to bed and you're tired throughout the day. Your tongue can set fires. It can do so much damage, and so often we don't think about that, how it can set the whole course of our life on fire. Then finally, James says what I think is the most terrifying statement that to mean is that while we forget how powerful our tongue is, how much our words mean, the devil doesn't forget. The devil is looking for opportunities to use our tongue to harm ourselves, to harm our relationship with God, to, to harm our relationship with each other, to perhaps harm Christ's reputation because we call ourselves Christians and then we, we speak in these ways. And this, I think, it has to remind us back to the very way that Paul or James began this section of the letter, talking about teachers, talking about people who, who rush to become teachers. He's saying, you're discounting how powerful your tongue is, but the devil doesn't. The tongue is set on fire by hell, and you need to to keep that in mind. And so what we've seen now is that the tongue is very powerful, and in the hands of sinners like us, it's very destructive. And so the natural question, the one that we should all ask is, then what's the solution? And I think our natural inclination is to think, well, our tongues are are evil. So we have to tame them. We, we have to try really hard. Maybe just stop talking. We, we, have to, we have to try and tame our tongue. Willpower. James says in verse 7 of our passage, every animal can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but um, we cannot tame the tongue on our own. Sorry, I might have quoted the wrong verse there. The next verse is important as well. Can you bring that back up? Verse 7. Now, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures can be tamed and have been tamed uh, by mankind, but we cannot tame the tongue on our own. And this is really interesting that this is where James goes, because in the time period where James was writing, it was actually a really big point of pride for philosophers and for poets to point to the fact that mankind had tamed these great beasts. It was what they pointed to to show the superiority of man, how, how amazing they had become, that they could tame any type of animal, even the most powerful animals you can imagine. And, and they were right. Just think about it for a moment. How many of you have dogs and cats that you've trained pretty much without thinking about it? 
You, you can go to SeaWorld, and you can see huge whales that have been trained to jump through a hoop. You, you can go to a circus, and you can see elephants that have been trained to balance on a ball, or, or lions that have, and bears that have been trained to ride bicycles, which sounds crazy, but I found it online. You can watch it yourself. They, they can train animals to do all sorts of things, even these, these powerful animals like bears. And so what James is saying here is, sure, yeah, humans can tame all these sorts of things, but don't be proud. We need to be filled with humility because although, sure, we can do these great things, but we cannot even tame our own tongue. And if you're honest with yourself, and if I'm honest with myself, I think we have to see that James is right here, that we cannot tame our tongues on our own. I can, I can certainly see it in my own life. I just mentioned there are certain times in the day when I'm more inclined to sin with my, my tongue. So, so just think about it for a moment. Think about the past. How many times have you said something hurtful and instantly regretted it? Something hurtful to the, often the people you love most, right? The ones you wouldn't want to say it to, your children, your, your significant others. Sometimes, often, I think, even as it's crossing over your lips, you were like, why? Why would I say this? It's because we cannot tame our tongues on our own. Again, maybe you said something hurtful or reckless to your friends. You've cut them down. You've denigrated them for some reason, and you don't even know why. So often we do these things. How many of us, maybe, while getting ready for church today, as we were hurrying out the door last minute, how many might have said something rude or, or started bickering with their family members. How often do we leave church? And on our way out of church, we're nicely talking with everyone, and then as soon as you get in the privacy of your car, then the comments aren't as loving, necessarily. They're not as upbuilding about the people that you just worshipped God with. James is right. We cannot tame our tongues. And as I was studying this passage uh, I, I came across a story of another pastor who was also studying this passage. Uh, he's a, he's a well-known pastor, and he told this story. He said that while he was studying this passage, during that week, he had an event that he really wanted to go to, and he was taking his family with him. And it was very important to him that he be on time. And he, he knows his family, he knows his wife in particular, and he knew that she often didn't care as much about being on time. And so throughout the week, and especially on the day of this uh, conference or whatever it was, he, he warned his wife. He said, please, can we try to be on time? It's important to me to be on time. And then on the day of, he started saying, shouldn't you start getting ready? Shouldn't you start helping our kids get ready? Because we're going to be late. I really don't want to be late. And sure enough, as the, the day went on and it got close to the time when they're supposed to leave, then this pastor was standing outside by the car, probably tapping his foot, waiting with his oldest kids, while his wife was still inside, frantically trying to get herself and their youngest, their nine-year-old son, ready. And what the pastor said was that, for some reason, he went back inside. And he started saying things to his wife, saying things like, I don't know, he didn't say exactly what he said. You can imagine, fill in the blanks. And he said that he didn't stop saying these things until his nine-year-old son asked dad why. 
Why are you saying these things to the law? Not even this pastor, well studying this passage, not even he could control his tongue. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit we can't either. We can't use it perfectly. We can't use it the way that Jesus did, even if we want to, no matter how much we want to. And so it's helpful for us especially to think back to what we heard a while ago from Pastor Hilmer as well. He, he, he mentioned this in, in Blessings. He, he used this passage while discussing the catechism. And he said, okay, great. So now we've thought of some examples in our lives, hopefully, of times when you've t- used your tongue in a way that didn't glorify God. But what Pastor Hilmer said, and, and what I'm saying is, is now realize that those are just a drop in the bucket. Imagine someone printed off a transcript of everything you said in your life. Not just things you said out loud, things you said online. Things maybe you've even said in your head. Imagine someone printed that off. Would you dare to look at it? Would you want others to look at it? Would you want God himself to look at it? We wouldn't because we don't want that clear of a picture into our souls. We don't want to see how sinful we are and what comes out. That's what leads us to our last point. Why can't we control our tongues? The answer is worse than we would ever want to imagine. The answer is what we read in Matthew 12 earlier, what Jesus tells us. Jesus says in Matthew 12, I believe the quote's coming up. Well, he says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think what we read earlier was slightly different. But it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And it's so important for us to know that and to believe it. Because so often we don't. Think about it. How often when you make a rude comment or an unloving comment or you cut someone down, do you start making excuses? You you start suggesting, that's not the real me. You start suggesting, no, no, that's not the real me. I, I was just really hungry. You have to realize, I was hungry. That's why I said it. It's not the real me. Or I was tired. Or or do you know how frustrating and annoying that person was being? You start making excuses for yourself, but, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so, that shocks us to hear that these words are what our heart is full of. But on the other hand, on one hand, it it shouldn't really, should it? We all confess that we are conceived and born in sin. But so often we forget it. We don't realize how sinful we are inside. So that's what James is saying here. Look at your tongue. You'll get a reminder. And so on the one hand, this shouldn't shock us when these things come to our lips. But... But the good news is the gospel messages, on the other hand, this does shock us, and it should shock us. And that's because we're not just sinful people anymore. We're not just conceived and born in sin, are we? By faith, we're united to Christ. We're not slaves to the devil. We're slaves to God. We're we're sons of God. We're not slaves of sin anymore. No, Jesus Christ God himself came down to earth and he paid a great price to free us from those sins, to free us from that sin that's inside of us. 
He lived out all a human life on earth, suffering throughout. He was beaten. He was crucified to take away that sin from us. And more than that, when he left, he didn't leave us alone, but he sent us the Spirit so that we don't have to be enslaved to this sin any longer. So now, the, the sin that by our nature defines us, it, it doesn't define us anymore, but it, it's something intrusive inside of us. And, and so there's this tension inside of us. That's what we read in our passage. That's what James points out. With our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. This is, this is a great thing. That we sing praises to God and we do, we begin to show love to our neighbors. This is a great thing. But that sin, even though Jesus defeated it, yet it's still living inside of us. And, and so with our tongue, yet we still curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So even as Christians, even as people who, who have been committed to Christ for a long time, that's who James is writing to here. Don't forget. We still praise God with our lips and we Yet we denigrate other people, sometimes right after church. And again, it's important to note that, that James, the brother of Jesus, the great church leader, he doesn't exclude himself from this statement. He uses the first person throughout. He says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord. And with it, we curse people. And still, James says, because of Jesus, because of the work that he's done, because he has defeated sin, James says, this should not be. And obviously, it shouldn't be, and we don't want it to be. If we love God and we sing praises to him, and we confess that our desire is to love our neighbor, then we shouldn't leave church and start bickering. It seems so obvious when we say it. As Christians who love Jesus and who want to speak not our sinful words, but his good and perfect words. As people who have been shown such great mercy from God, we don't want to go and with our tongues start being unmerciful towards others. We've been united to Christ. We've been transformed by him. Our hearts have. And so now we want our tongues to reflect that change. We want it more than anything else. We, we don't want to be like the sinful people we by nature are. We want to be like Jesus Christ, who used his tongue so perfectly. And so what we see here is that there's a struggle going on inside each one of us. James outlines it in quite a bit of detail. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Likewise, our, our good hearts, well, our evil hearts that have now been purified by Christ's sacrifice, can they go on producing so much sin? He says, no, they shouldn't. And so James doesn't want us to go on living our lives uncritically, not thinking about what's coming out of our mouths. Instead, he wants us to look very closely at it because it gives us a picture of this struggle going on inside of us. And so, when we see all sorts of sins, when we see gossip and lies and vulgarity and these things coming to our mouths, then, then we should be repulsed by it. Because now it's unnatural for us. Because now we are children of God. 
And likewise, in situations when maybe we, we should speak, when we, we should comfort, when we should speak the gospel to someone, and we don't, again, we should be repulsed that, that we're not using this God-given gift in the way that we want to, in the way that Jesus would use it. And so when we do find sins coming to our lips, and when we see a lack of godly words coming to our lips, then we should cry out to God. And I think we should do it with the words of Psalm 51. I believe verse 10 and verse 12 will come up. Cry out with these words, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. We ask God to fix our heart because when he, as he fixes our heart more and more, that will fix the words that come out of our mouths. The more our hearts are focused on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, the more we're thinking about that and having the gospel preached to us and preaching the gospel to ourselves, the more that will be reflected in our language. And the more that we cry out to God and ask him, Lord, you have clothed me in righteousness. You've clothed me, clothed me with Christ. Now make me already now more and more resemble Christ because that's what I want. I want to glorify you like that. Then we should be comforted knowing that that's not just our renewed will, but that's God's will for us as well, that we might look more and more like Christ. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. There we read that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. When we hear the gospel, when we hear how amazing Jesus is, we go, yes, I want to be like that. And God wants us to be like that too. And, and he was making us more and more like that. And so we can cry out to God because we know that he's the one who has to change our heart. Who can change their heart on their own? And we ask, can ask him that he will more and more replace our sinful words with his good words. But we know that, that God does this and he does it through means. He works through ordinary means. And so there are things that we can do as well to, to, to begin to replace the sinful words with God's perfect word. And one way, one way that I admit I've neglected a little bit, but every once in a while we get these helpful recommendations, often from Pastor Ian, telling us to memorize some scripture. And more and more I think we, we should do that. If we have the opportunity, maybe just a few verses, maybe a short psalm, because as you internalize these words, these good, good words, there will be so much more likely to come to your lips. And God will work through that. And likewise, maybe not just hopefully memorizing the words of Scripture, but also likewise memorizing good, good songs, like the ones we've been singing here, songs that are filled with the gospel, listening to those, internalizing God's great message. And once it's in your heart, once it's written on your heart more and more, it will come out through your mouth. And then thirdly, and, and this might be the hardest one to do, but it's very important, and I'll end with this. And it's hard for me too. But as we love Jesus more and more, and as more and more we think less of ourselves and our sinful nature, and in fact we start to hate our sinful nature, we should be willing to go to the people around us and ask them for help. If people tell you that, or if people tell us that we're sinning with our tongue, we shouldn't get offended. 
We should see if that's true. We should thank them for letting us know because we hate this sin. We want them to point it out. We, we won't be angry if people tell us that we're sinning. We want to get rid of it. We want to know. We want to repent of it, and we want to pray that God will take it away. And so that's an important way, because so often, we, like we have been saying throughout this passage, we're just not thinking about how we're using our tongues. So if you ask those around you to help and to point out when you're using it in a way that doesn't glorify God, then that can help you and let you know when to cry out to God for forgiveness and for help. And so, I said I'd finish with that. I'll hold to that. Don't worry. But we just need to, to realize that what James is saying is that it's God who can tame our heart. So fundamentally, the way for us to tame our tongues and to tame our hearts is to just call out to God humbly. Ask him to do the work because we recognize we can't do it ourselves. And also as we do that, we can look forward to the time when Christ will return and he will wash us perfectly clean from the inside out, heart and soul and tongue. Amen. Now let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the, the good, good news that you revealed to us in your word. Thank you that even though we are and, and we have been sinful from the inside out, that nevertheless you are so holy and you hate sin so much, but yet you are still gracious and you're merciful and you show boundless love towards us. Lord, you loved us so much and you were so merciful to us that you sent your son, you sent Jesus Christ to die and take away our sin from us. So now, Lord, help us to focus on that. Focus on what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And as we do it, Lord, help us to be transformed. Help it to affect every aspect of our lives, not least of all our speech. Lord, thank you that you reveal our sins to us. And thank you that now we can have the, the wonderful privilege of confessing our sins to you and admitting that this is something foreign to us, something repulsive to us. So that already is a gift from you. And Lord, thank you that we do and we have begun to live our lives in a way that is pleasing in your sight and that we who strive to, to worship you in your power, that we can look forward to the time when you will return and you will wipe away every tear from our eye and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, thank you for this wonderful comfort knowing that we will not have to contend with this sin inside us forever and that you've already essentially defeated it in Jesus Christ. And though, and though we still have to struggle with it for a while, you will return and you will wash us clean. And we will finally be able to show perfect love to you and perfect love to our neighbor, which is, is our truest desire. And, and we'll look just like Christ, which is exactly what we want. So Lord, please help us to glorify you in every aspect of our lives and in everything we think and in every single thing that we say, and use our tongues to, to be a blessing, a blessing to those around us, so that more and more we might show the love that Christ has worked in us for, for you and for our neighbor. All this we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen.